Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer break down the legacy of the territories and delve into American Wrestling Association. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast, Legacy of the Territories. I'm Dave LaGreca here with the walking pro wrestling encyclopedia, the landlord of the house of hardcore and the heart and soul of professional wrestling, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, today... We talk about the AWA, the American Wrestling Association. And talking about the risk, talking about the gamble, uh, breaking away from that mafia family, the NWA, and starting your own company, believing in yourself, betting on yourself. All these things that Vern Gagne did ahead before they were cool. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to our good friend Greg Gagne later. But man, the AWA, you and I, watched it we grew up on it we saw those massive crowds we saw how big professional wrestling was and i mean it was i know for me top three it was always nwa awa and wwf growing up in those wrestling magazine era you would always see it it was either harley or flair nick bockwinkle Vern Gagne, bob backland whoever else it was so i mean it was it was big it was gigantic and you talk about three, and I I'm obviously may get some backlash on this, but I think every wrestling fan has their opinion on this, Tommy. But when you mention three, I talk about the big three arenas, at least for me, growing up as a pro wrestling fan. And the big three arenas that I used to see a lot on TV was Madison Square Garden, the Omni in Atlanta, and the St. Paul Civic Center. And when you look at the big shows for the AWA, it seems like all those big shows came out of the St. Paul Civic, Civic Center. Dude, I mean, honestly, how's a guy from New Jersey and a kid from New York going to know about these famous arenas? Or people like Awali Carbo or um, uh, Tom Rocky Stone. It's all because they're embedded for what we would see each and every week. And these were, I mean, minute players, um, Stanley Blackburn, you know, these, yeah. these random names in wrestling, but they were big deals. They were outside of what we had our own territory, which was New York. But then with the advent of cable and the advent, I mean, before cable, it was the wrestling magazines. And that's how we learned about all that. I mean, I remember that famous picture of Hulk Hogan, American made, and then Hulkamania. We've had Greg Gagne on before where him and Jim Brunzel are kind of talking to Hulk Hogan and they just did it on a whim about ripping his t-shirt because he was, it was such a tight t-shirt. And then that kind of became his deal. I mean, the list goes on and on. We could joke about the crappy angles of Jerry Blackwell uh, splashing a two by four and it like, but back then we're like, oh my God, if he hits you with a cr with that splash, it's gonna break you in half. We watch today, it's like the thing's already looking like it's bending. Or um banging the nails with his head. Or or the you know, we got to see Mad Dog Vashon when he was older, plus Vern Gagne looks so old, but these were badass wrestlers. One of the best of all time, Nick Bockwinkle. And I mean, the list goes on and on for Hall of Famers who were in this industry that who are, you know, Hall of Famers for a reason. They cut their teeth in AWA, which really was a wrestler's territory. You had to be good in the ring. Why? Because then I always say every wrestling company, the booker or the owner is what they see a version of themselves in the mirror. And what was Vern? A great worker, a great shooter. So that's what he had. And these are all people. Who else are you going to have when you're in your company? Guys you trust, going to have your son as well as you're going to have all these people that you helped train. 
because they're going to have a loyalty to you. Yeah, and I think uh, the big word when it comes to the AWA is credibility. As you just said, Tommy, Vern Gagne, who was a trainer and trained some of the biggest stars, and I think everybody that's listening knows you know, the Iron Sheik and the Ken Pateras and the Ricky Steamboats and the Ric Flair were all trained uh, by Vern Gagne. But Tommy... You know, Vern wanted wrestlers that, yes, could actually wrestle in the ring. You know, back in the day, Tommy, when we first started watching pro wrestling in the in the WWF, it was a lot of brawling. It was a lot of fighting. It was a lot of kicking and punching. You know, in the AWA, it was a lot of pro wrestling holds. And you look at a Brad Reagans, you look at a lot of the wrestlers that came out of the AWA, it did have that foundation. And like, let's face it, the Iron Sheik was a a big time amateur wrestling. Amateur wrestling, and I think it's great that you had amateur wrestlers that went on to become professional wrestlers because it had the respect and the credibility factor to it. When you said Brad Reddings, it brought me to trying to list Brad, Iron Sheik, uh, Chris Taylor, who didn't have the the career because he passed away. Um, Ken Patara. Um, Brad. Uh, Baron Von Raschke, Mad Dog Vashon, Olympians. I mean, think yep. of this. Yep. Like this amateur, I mean, grueling. Billy Robinson, known friggin' shooter. All these guys who made a mainstay there. You know, it's funny too. When you think about the and it sucks because when you talk about the tail end of a territory, when they came up with all like they're trying now to do like, you know, the entertainment aspect and, um, you know, Greg Gagne is Rambo, Greg Gagne, or they're trying to think of this great new concept of, you know, Sarge's Raiders, Baron Von Raschke's team. Uh, and it was horrible. They were trying to do a point system because they're now trying to play the catch up game. Yes. But if you really think about what Vern did and running, you know, I mean, you and I had talked about, wrestling at Kamitsky stadium, uh, wrestling at, uh, where the twins used to play the Metrodome. These were things that like, you know, Hey, we get to see this every, uh, WrestleMania, maybe Royal rumble at these stadiums, maybe summer slams. Vern was back then. So ahead of the game for now, but he couldn't catch up and meet the curve when the business was changing. So it's just, it really is an interesting dissection of this place because i mean man they had the world by the balls we'll do a deep dive with greg Ganya, and i look forward to that and then uh it's going to be interesting because greg's always dropped a lot of uh awesome knowledge and behind the scenes stuff that we've never heard before yeah so let's catch up with greg Ganya and the legacy of the awa as we continue with legacy of the territories right here on the busted open podcast This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories, American Wrestling Association, with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Back here with Legacy of the Territories, the Busted Open podcast, and let's bring in Tommy, a legend. And if you're speaking AWA, there's only one person that we have to get on, and that is the legendary Greg Gagne. Greg, how are you today? Well, I'm pretty good, David. Thank you for that introduction. I'm probably one of the few that are left. <laughs> no, and you know, it's it's sad when you say that, but like you look back at the AWA and I look at the AWA unlike any other territory because what your father was able to bring to it is credibility and it was an emphasis on wrestling. Didn't you feel the same way as when, you know, that it was really about wrestling? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the people here. I mean, that was, you know, with his background coming out of, you know, he was a high school state champion here. And then he went on to the University of Minnesota where he's a big 10 champion, NCAA champion a number of times and wrestled on the 48 Olympics. And, um, funny story, he started in Minneapolis in 1949. He wrestled a guy named Abe King Kong, uh, Kashi. And he had his, football players, buddies with them, Bud Grant who ended up coaching the Vikings, yeah. uh, Billy By, who was a quarterback and Jim Malosky, they were sitting in the front row and Vern used to tell the story. We're wrestling and, and Cashy's uh, uh, hammering me pretty good. And the three guys jump up and Cashy leans over the ropes. He says, sit down punks. <laughs> they all sat down, but 
it was, uh, they told him then he was too small and they sent him to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And his first two weeks there, he won the light, the NWA light heavyweight championship. And, uh, my, him and my mother and I, we lived in a trailer in Tulsa. And then he would do the, uh, the Oklahoma, uh, Texas and Louisiana territory. And then in 1950, later in 1950, early in 1950, you get a call from, um, Paul, um, oh, geez, I can't think of the promoter's name right now, uh, to come into Chicago. And when he gets into Chicago, they fly him in and he gets to the locker room and there's about 30 guys in the locker room. And the guy says to him, Hey, Vern, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dress you up as a Martian and lower you from the ceiling. And, uh, Vern looked at him and he said, the hell you are. He said, I've got wrestling trunks, my wrestling boots. He goes over his credentials that he had, his background in amateur wrestling. He said, I'm going down to the ring right now and you can bring these 30 guys one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. If I can't beat them all, I'll quit. And he ended up wrestling in his wrestling tights and boots that night. Yep. <laughs> so nobody got in the ring with him. And within... Within two years, he was the, uh, Luthez came in. He was the NWA champion. Vern was the NWA light heavyweight champion. And in 1952, I believe it was early 52, he was presented the police gazette award for being the most popular wrestler in professional wrestling at that time. And, um, he got the, the feeling of how important TV was for wrestling him and Pat O'Connor, because the, the territories at that time that would fly in a couple of guys from the DuPont network out of Chicago that ran for seven years and that went nationwide. And, um, he said, they're flying Pat and I into Buffalo, New York and Lou and killer Kowalski are up in Boston and, uh, some bruiser and somebody are in St. Louis and they take two guys or four guys off that network TV and go into the territories. So they're flying into Buffalo and the planes late. And they get in there and it's snowing and the traffic's backed up. And he said, Jesus, look at Pat. We said, this is going to kill our gate tonight. And when they finally got to the arena, it was for wrestling in, in Buffalo. And they turned away about 25,000 people that night. Wow. And that's, that's when he realized how important TV was for, you know, for professional wrestling. And then in 1950, 1960, he bought into the Minneapolis territory. Uh, actually a little before that, but sixties, when it really got rolling, he expanded the TV network, you know, I mean, you know, I, I listened to the territories deal and I listened to some of the guys and everybody's very proud of, you know, what they've done. We all are. I mean, Eddie Graham and, and what they did down in Florida was phenomenal. What the Crockett's did in, in North Carolina, they really didn't get really rolling until say the, uh, 70s, late 70s. Um, they actually, David and Jimmy came into Minneapolis and they wanted and sat down with my dad and they want to know how we were doing our TV and how we were building up to our arena matches. So they did their TV the same way we did it, you know, just, you know, easy wins on TV, interviews, great. Yeah, I'd have those interviews in there because that's what got the personalities over. And, you know, and Stu Hart up in, in the Calgary area. I mean, everybody worked their asses off and had good talent. Uh, at that time, Stu Hart, Vern, Eddie, and Eddie Graham, and um, Fritz von Erich was, and Joe Blanchard were developing most of the talent for professional wrestling. And um, I just, I know Vern trained 144 wrestlers and only 1% to not make the main events. Wow. Wow. You know, uh, and I listened to, you know, these territories, but a lot of the territories got the talent. You know, when Vern would, he sent out Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair to Charlotte, and they were supposed to be there and then come back to Minneapolis. Well, <laughs> they never got back here. You know, and uh, he trained Gene and Ole and Lars Anderson, uh, God Baron von Raschke. Larry the Axe Henning, Kurt Henning, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, and then our crew, you know, Jim and myself, Ken Patera, the Iron Sheik. Uh, Bob Bruggers is the only one that really didn't make it out of that group. Um, 
but he, he had had a lot of football injuries. So it was, it was really hard on him, but you know, and then, and then, then the, the talent that came in here, gee, I keep talking here. You have any other questions? Well, no, no. And, and, and like, it's, we're just sitting back and loving it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? I'm thinking about I mean, when I think of the AWA, I really, I never viewed it as a territory. I viewed it as national. And, and just like you said, cause when you're sitting here talking, I'm like, it is true, man. Everybody kind of had to copy that formula that, mm -hmm. you know, the AWE set. And if you really think about like the world of wrestling that we're living in now, your father's main vision is happening today in the sense of what is WWE recruiting athletes, yeah. people with athletic backgrounds um, to wrestling is now, yes, it is entertainment, but the fans want this crazy concept known as pro wrestling yeah. Yeah. and for years when it was like different but now that the wrestling fan base is smarter professional wrestling dominates what we're talking about and then like you know again your father's mind for expansion all these things even like you think about entertainment and movies your father did all these things first back then they were thought of differently because they were like first like the wrestler yeah and but now i mean professional wrestling dominates everything across the board everything and entertaining so uh it, it's pretty like amazing that his vision has come to life today and, and that's how when, when you're speaking of all this i'm like wow it really is and it wasn't just like when you also talk we talk territories hey you had florida or georgia or just you know the two carolinas awa was everywhere we uh we were from well it started in minneapolis and went to omaha and then Vern started expanding and we ended up, and I was just thinking about it last night, uh, event, we were in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg were, were just selling out that arena like crazy. TSN came to us, and that was the ESPN of Canada. Yeah. And they would tape our Winnipeg matches, and then they would show them across Canada from uh, British Columbia all the way to the to the East Coast. And then we, we were from winnipeg you draw draw a line they put us they wanted our tv in st louis sam muchnick did because they had a tough time they'd sold out when the champions wrestled and then if the champion wasn't on the next card they drew about half a house so he wanted to use our formula and brought our talent in on that off day and we were selling out st louis and then we went all the way to you know we had san francisco and oakland uh I got to go back the other way. We had all the Dakotas, uh, Nebraska, Colorado, uh, Utah, Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and then in California, in Oakland and uh, in L and uh, San Francisco. And it was just, you know, and everything in between, all the spot shows, you know, that you did, or all the, the smaller or the midtowns, you know, like a, a Peoria, Illinois, we'd go down there and draw 4,000 people in a high school gym. I mean, uh, for me living in the East coast, I'm watching it on ESPN. Mm -hmm. and you just think of that, like the, the enormous business that ESPN is now I'm watching. Uh, I'm a, I'm a what 12 year old kid. And I know where the St. Paul civic center is. And that's like, Hey, I know I got to be, if I want to be a wrestler, I got to make it in Madison Square Garden. I got to make it the St. Paul Civic Center. Why? Because this is what I've been programmed that these are the biggest shows. And they really were because you look, I mean, you wrestled there. Mm. You, I couldn't believe when I was fortunate enough to wrestle there once in ECW, but you saw those crowds. You would see those monthly sellouts. Uh, and I mean, it's, there's nothing been like that for a long, long time. No, there hasn't, you know, and, I, and I'm watching, I think with triple H back in the, in the mold, in the, in the fold there and kind of running things, I see a little more storytelling in the, in the matches than they've had in the past. And even though the, the, the fans are smart, what everything is, if you, I still think if you go in there and, and, and you have just a old school wrestling match and tell a story in there and tell it right you have to speed up the action a little bit because of TV, you, you can, you can, you can have the riots that we used to have. I remember we were in Denver, Colorado, and it was a cold match. Uh, Pat Patterson had been out of the territory for a little bit. Him and Ray Stevens were the tag team champions and they had Bobby Heenan as their manager. 
And Jim and I were really established in Denver. And they threw us in there in the main event against Stevens and Pat, who was making an appearance back in with and, and Bobby Heenan. And the place was sold out. Beautiful auditorium. It seated about 14,000, 15,000. It was just, Tommy, you get that feeling you know, when you come out and that crowd goes and that adrenaline flowing. The building was woo, woo, like that. And we came out. And of course, with Ray and Pat, you, you know, you're going to have a hell of a match. We had a, in eight minutes, they had all they had was a top wrist lock on us. They never threw a punch or a kick. They pulled our tights or pulled our hair. We'd do a spot and we'd end up back on the mat and they'd have us down and have our arm. Eight minutes, we had a full fledged riot, people coming in the ring trying to help us. <laughs> never a punch or kick thrown. I mean, that was that to me, that is the art of professional wrestling is that storytelling and emotionally getting those fans, you know, either to like you or to hate you. And kids I train today, I've sent a couple down to the WWE. One is, um, she goes by Tiffany Stratus down there. And I've got two others that are, should be going down pretty soon. They got, they went down for their tryout and they really liked them. But I tell them guys, you know, one kid says to me, give me a big spot. I said, a big spot is if you do something at the right time, it has to mean something. You can't just go out there and do a, a flip-flop. No, geez, wow, great. Tell a story to it, get it. So I've got the kids doing that. and uh, They're doing spot shows around, and they say, God, you know, and I said, just go in there and work a match like we did. Speed up the pace a little bit, but sell. And they start doing it and they come back and God almighty, the people were up out of their chairs. You know, well, the biggest part about it is you guys also live the life because today a lot of people, oh, and yeah. I, I tell this when I do seminars, um, Hey wrestler that I'm wrestling tonight, I'm not going to take a picture with you and post it that we're out to dinner. So yeah. my fan well, base can see it. You guys live this life of, I mean, hell the fans know what kayfabe is, but I was like, you guys, your generation, lived it you know i'm sure you would get hell if you were seen with a heel not only by the fans because you knew it would kill your business but by your dad he'd want to whip your ass oh shit he would oh you better not around him or you're you're done you were done god he was you he, i remember in our training camp uh this is with patera flair brunzel myself cosro and bruggers and we're into about the third or fourth minute. And then, you know, the same thing with Stuart. I mean, you know, you get stretched for an hour at the end. It was all submission wrestling and that. So Vern, uh, about, our, about two and a half months into the deal, he brings us down to the TV and we're watching it. Cosro was there, the Iron Cheek. And we're sitting, you know, with the fans, but we're kind of in the front row. Oh, nobody could ever drop kick me. This is bullshit. And I said, Jesus, Kazo, shut up. And I, none of us have been smartened up. I was never smartened up when I was a kid. N not until we, she, Brenzel, he's going out to his match and Vern smartened him up as he was walking out. And that's the way we got it. So Kazo keeps it up and keeps it up. And I said, Kazo, just shut up. So, so somehow it got back to, to Vern and Billy Robinson back in the room. So Billy comes to the camp and we're, we're all there and Vern's a little late and all of a sudden here, Vern pulls up, he gets in the ring. He says, Hey, Cosmo, come on up here with me. He says, you know, guys, we're, we're, you know, I, I've been giving you, you know, lectures about wrestling and you know, how hard it is and what you have to do. And I guess some guys just kind of think it's, it's, it's bullshit. And he's taken off his Rolex watch. He's got wing tips on and his slacks and a shirt. He says, you know, some guys even believe that you couldn't drop kick him. And Kazu goes, me coach. And he turned around and drop kicked him right in the face. And over the, through the ring, he, through the ropes, he went down on the floor out cold. <laughs> he was out for a while. We finally got him up and he says, oh, coach, why you do that? He says, because you didn't believe that I could drop kick you. <laughs> so then did we lose again here? No, no, we're here. No. Okay. My went blank here. Uh, so then about 
three weeks later, the Kaiser again, the dumb shit, he's in there with, with in the ring and he's saying, nobody can turn me. You know, he was a Greco-Roman wrestler. So you get down on all fours and nobody could turn me. And Billy says, is that right? He says, nobody in here, not Patera, not Greg, not Jim, not uh, Flair, not Bruggers, not you, Billy. She says, we'll get down on all four. We'll see what we can do. And we've been, we had worked up to, we're doing a thousand free squats nonstop. You know how your, 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 your thighs and, and quads get. And Kazra was already pretty lean and, and he was pretty tight. Okay, coach, I'm on all four. And Billy dropped a knee into his thigh. And you could hear him scream about 10 miles away. Oh, coach, oh, coach, what do you do? He, <laughs> it was so black and blue. He couldn't walk. He was limping around for about three weeks. So he learned to keep his mouth shut most of the time after that. <laughs> That's amazing. You know. Hey, what do you think? Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. No, really quick, because, you know, I mentioned earlier, Greg, about um, that the AWA had the credibility because it was based around wrestling. But I think. Yes. But I think something that the AWA doesn't get a lot of credit for or your dad gets a lot of credit for is the building of characters. You know, you oh. look at you look at like the national push of the WWF in 1984. I mean, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, Hogan, Bobby Heenan, like they were all uh, Michaels. Uh, yeah, like well, the, the, yeah, like you're right. The Midnight Rockers like they all like were developed in the AWA and it used to get me so upset because Hulkamania Hulkamania started in the AWA even look you look at the Road Warriors really they came into prominence in the AWA I, I think that the AWA doesn't get enough credit about you know character development in that organization no Vern was excellent at that and you know he would teach us we all had y'all who have something inside who, who you want to be, who you think you are. And that's who you really are. You just have to let it out, but we're all inhibited. And he would bring that, he would just tell guys and he would, he was pretty hard on you. Uh, you know, if, if you weren't doing it right and you didn't get your attention, uh, he might hit you with an open hand and then you would react. He says, now that's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but now we're getting it to you. And uh, it was, it was so many, I mean, Hogan, yeah, people give it all credit. And I'm going to tell you a story here, and this is a true story. And not that the other ones aren't, but <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when Hogan, before he left, he, uh, I, I wrestled at Chase Stadium on the New York, on a card up there with Hogan wrestling Andre the Giant. And I had been on a card prior to that in Madison Square Garden. And this was, to me, the biggest difference between uh, the McMahon idea of professional wrestling and Vern's idea. I went in the ring. I was on the second or third match with Johnny Rods. And we wrestled about 14 minutes. But we got the people out of their, out of their seats. And I was cold. I was cold. They didn't know me from a bale of hay. And we just worked a match. And even though, you know, his... His position there, Johnny Rods, was to get people over. And he was excellent at doing that. But he was so excited because I sold for him. We had a hell of a match. We got the people standing and cheering. And when I when I left the ring and came back in the locker room, Vince Sr. grabs me and he says, what was that? I said, that was a wrestling match. He said, how are my guys going to follow it? I said, I don't know. That's, that's up to them. You know, their idea was big people, characters, and to me, their matches weren't, they weren't solid. In our territory, Fritz von Erich's territory, Eddie Graham's territory, the Crockett's, guys were solid, and you worked hard. And what really dawned on me is when we, Vince Sr. would call Vern, and if Billy Superstar Graham was finishing up, he would want to bring him to New York. So Vern would send him in about six months early for him to do TV. So then when he came in, he was all set for Bruno in a main event. And he would, so we would send our guys up there and they would all wrestle main event. When the New York guys came to us, I can tell you when Pedro Morales, who was huge in New York, he came, he never made it over the third match 
here because it was in such a different style. The people were used to solid, rugged, and wrestling and holds and counter holds. And most of those guys, they didn't have the repertoire that we had from the training with Vern and Billy Robinson. And, you know, we, we must have known, I don't know how many leg locks and wrist top wrist locks and wrist locks and headlocks and a million things you could do and get out of them. And um, that's I was going to say, to I think, um, Pedro, when you mentioned him, he was a kick punch guy. Yeah. And kick punch, fire, sell, kick punch, fire, sell. Um, and it's funny when you're, again, like you're that. talking. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I'm listening to you. A lot of the stuff that the AWA did, WWE borrowed, if I could finger quote here, mm -hmm. because Mean Gene Okerlund, uh, oh. who was a character in himself, the beauty of Bobby Heenan, all were developed and then promoted, you know, in the WWE like they were, but they all, you know, cut their teeth in the AWA. And, and just again, as you're talking and, and then Dave, like that's how my mind works. I wanted to ask you business-wise, what was the hottest uh, angle or the hottest time during AWA, like oh in its God. peak? The hottest angle, one that was turned Larry Henning, um, babyface, is um, Jim and I had just, I think this was about 1975, 76. So we had just teamed up. It sent Jim to Kansas City for some groundwork. And then he came back and they teamed us up. And because I was thin and Jim was new, they didn't think we'd have much of a chance really. But I was getting over establishing pretty well because of just who I was and, or where I came from and what I could do in the ring. So they put us together and we had a man, they put us on with Bachwinkle and Stevens and the re, just a, for a TV match to work this angle. And Bobby Heenan had just come into the AWA and taken over for Nick and Ray. Now they're going to make him the champion. He's going to, you know, He's going to make them uh, champions. And then they were champions for three years as tag team champions. So Jim and I work with them and Ray and Nick were so phenomenal to work with. And we had a spot where Ray came off. I got Nick going somehow and Ray came off the top rope with a knee drop on my back. And I went down and had a leg draped over the, my leg draped over a rope. And they did a number. I mean, they were kicking the crap out of me and they threw Brunzel out. And all of a sudden, Larry Henning came in, who was a heel and been with them. And he kind of separated them. And uh, they kind of went back at it and he tried it again. And, and uh, finally, they took a swing at him and he knocked the crap out of both of them and then carried me out of the ring and said, you know, all I could think of is if uh, him and Vern had, I mean, they, they, they just didn't like each other, really. I mean, they, their matches were ungodly. But uh, <laughs> um, it got Larry over in that angle. They'd had me off for two months, and then Jim and Larry wrestled Ray and uh, Nick. Shit, they were selling out everywhere, and those two guys were making a ton of money, and I was sitting home. But that was a hot one. Probably the hottest, the hottest angle ever was probably Vern and Mad Dog Bashan. Yeah. Well, and that thing had a big conversation about Mad Dog. Oh my God. That went on, you know, and he was a he was unbelievable in the ring. I mean, to work with him, you you knew you were in for a, a dandy. But eventually, after years and years of them being uh, just hating each other, Vern had him and I forget who was, were, were tag team champions. And they, somebody got hurt and didn't make it to the championship match. And they stripped them of the belt. And it went to Nick and Ray. And Nick and Ray had got into a deal with Vern. And so he eventually brought Mad Dog in as his tag team partner. They buried the hatchet for one match and one match only. Mad Dog would say, just one more time and then you go your way and I go my way. And that's what it was. 
But that thing was so red hot. It was unbelievable. Nice. You know, but there were so many. I mean, Tommy, you've been around, you know, shit. It, it depends on the talent and who it is. And you can get a lot of great angles. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of great talent. And the talent we had, you know, we only had maybe 16 or 20 guys in the AWA. Uh, we go to Denver and if, uh, you know, you maybe had, you had a tag team match and four single matches on the card. So you had what, 12 guys and we're selling that out. Some cards, you'd only have 10. You're selling those buildings and the paydays were pretty damn good. And that's what Vern was known for being the best payoff man in the, in the, uh, in the territories. You know, that's Greg, all... yep. Greg in 1984, um, and Tommy and I talk about this all the time, but 1984, I, I believe Vince McMahon was the devil. Um, did you, <laughs> did you, so did I <laughs> still can't get over what happened, but, um, did you, did you see it coming? Like, did you, did you know that he was going to, to make that national push and, and pretty much break that code that went on for decades and decades? Not, I, I don't think none of us really saw it coming. Okay. For Hogan, like I said, we go back to that, that match in, in Shea Stadium with Hogan and, 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 uh, and Andre, I went out with Pat Patterson and, and Steamboat and his taking part of the Richard Blood or uh, Jay Youngblood, Young I'm sorry. And um, afterwards, we go back to the hotel room and we're staying, at, at, I don't know what it was, the Marriott Ramada, and there's Hogan down at the end of the hall sitting by his door. And he's almost in tears. I said, what's the matter, big man? He says, I can't, I, I'm not going to make it in wrestling. And I said, well, you need, you need some help. Well, you know, why don't you come to the AWA and let us work with you? So I came back and I told my dad about him. And I said, I gave him the number so he might be calling you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he needs a lot of work, but God, this guy, there's so much potential with him. And I don't think anybody has seen what, what he can be capable of. So it took three months. And then finally, Hogan called and he was coming in. He was driving up from Tampa, Florida. And at that time, we're doing the Phil Donahue show in Chicago. And we had a few matches on there. Adrian and I worked, the girls worked. And then after you'd have the match for 10 minutes, then Phil would interview you and the people would ask you questions about the match. So all of a sudden, Vern comes in, he says, hey, Hogan, just pull. I told him to pull in, he's here. I'm gonna put him on an interview at the end of the show with Phil. What do you think? I said, well, I don't think he's put him on. I mean, I've never heard him do an interview, but just from watching him, I don't think, I don't think he's ready for that. No, no, he's, he's impressive. I, I, I got to get him on there. So he gets him on. The interview is over and Vern starts. I won't use the language he used. Why did you let me put him on the air? And I said, I told you not to do it. Jesus Christ, that's the worst interview I've ever seen. <laughs> he, he was all fired up. I couldn't, took me a while. I had to walk away from him. <laughs> he's screaming. So, Vern worked with him with his interviews, and then they would put him in six-man tag matches with Jim and I against uh, usually Bachwinkle Stevens and Jerry Blackwell. And, uh, you know, they all, those were great, great heels that know how to work. And we would tag Hogan in, and we'd say, you know, turn, twist the arm, drop the leg, tag out. We'd just make him look good. And he'd start to get the, you know, the foundation of a match and how to build a match and how to sell. He'd watch us sell and watch our comebacks. And, uh, and we'd work out with him, you know, out at the barn a couple times just to, just to get him. And he finally was catching on. So now I'm going to tell you the story that nobody knows. So Hogan's going to Japan and we had the battle Royals. We ended up in Phoenix and we'd done all his interviews for Christmas week. All our major cities were sold out. And we had six man tags with Hogan, Jim and I, and it was either Bachwinkle Stevens and somebody. And uh, we finished up the battle Royal in Phoenix. Hogan's going to Japan, did all his interviews with us for those matches. Andre was there and he was real moody that night and he was going to Japan. Well, Vern didn't want to tell Hogan Hogan was pissed off because he didn't get the, didn't win the title from Bachwinkle. 
guy, I think it was, I can't remember his first name, Gentile. He was running the sports department, sports programming for CBS at the time. He came to us and he said, Vern, this AWA has exploded all over the country. We had ratings. Listen to some of these ratings. Minneapolis, 24 rating with a 64 share of the audience. That's Super Bowl numbers. Yeah. And we had, we had in the teens and the low 20s in all our markets. So when CBS came, they had seen all this. They said, oh, my God. So they said, what we'd like to do, we want to do a two-hour wrestling special in April of, what was that, 83 or 84? And uh, it would have been 80, 84, I guess. And we, they made us sign a Vern and I, a non, uh, non-disclosure. We couldn't say anything about the thing. So Hogan goes, you know, we finish up in Phoenix. He's all excited coming back, going to do the Christmas week. On the plane was Vince McMahon Jr. And Vince had come to us to turn back the clock back in uh, May of that year. And he said to Vern, I'd like to buy you out. And we met with a lawyer, Vince and myself. There was just four of us. And Vern said, well, you know, I'm not prepared. I've got partners. I got partners in Chicago. I've got, you know, Bruiser and Wilbur Snyder. I've got Dennis Hilgart, who does Milwaukee, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and San Francisco with, with Leo Namalini and Dennis. So I got these partners. I got partners in Winnipeg. I'd have to talk to them first and see, you know, and get a number for you. Fine. So Vince flies back in August. He meets with us. It's just the four of us again. And Vern gives him the number and he looks at it. Okay. I'm going to go back and I'll get back to you. We never heard back from him. But when he went, when he got out of our car or my dad's car, He's walking to the to the terminal and he turns around and he yells out, I don't negotiate. Of course, Vern was hard of hearing. He says, What did he say? He said, I don't negotiate. Well, what does he mean by that? I, said, I don't know what he means by it. He didn't negotiate anything with us. You gave him the number. So we never heard from him again until Vern got a letter on December 22nd from Tampa, Florida. It said, I am not returning to the AWA Hulk Hogan. And Vern looked at it and he said, he's going, what? What is this all about? And he says, that freaking Eddie Graham, they're always pulling jokes on each other. And it came from Tampa. He's that damn Eddie and he tore it up and he threw it away. Christmas night, Hogan doesn't show up in St. Paul. And I called Hulk at home. I said, hey, what are you doing? Why aren't you going? Well, I was on the plane with Vince going to, to uh, Japan, and he signed me to a deal. And I said, well, that isn't the way you do business, but, you know, fulfill your commitment, fulfill the Christmas dates, and then go. Vern will release you. But don't, don't not show up. Well, Vince is paying me more not to show up. So he didn't show up. And the next thing you know, Vince has got Hulk Hogan on network TV. And prior to that, what, what Vince Sr. had us do, and I'm sorry, I get a little confused here, but when he, he, he went on um, HBO, remember that? Mm-hmm. And he would he called all the promoters and he said, hey, why don't we do this? Why, because all the promoters were pissed off. So this is going to hurt our territories. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Why don't you do this? Send me your main event matches, and I'll put them on TV. And all he was doing was establishing all that talent for them. They ran it for about three months. I mean, we'd send them these six-man tags with Hogan, Hogan and Blackwinkle, and all our main events. And so Crockett was doing it, and, and uh, Barnett was doing it, and uh, Bill Watts was doing it. And all he was doing was setting it all up so he could grab them all. Got them established, and when they came in there, and Hogan came in there, He'd have never got that going without Hogan. And if Hogan would have stuck with us, he'd have been the champion in April. And who knows what would have happened from there. We would have had the network TVs because yeah. that went well. They were going to do one 
once a month with us. And if that got good, they were going to do a weekly program with us. As Fire I, and update. As Don't I said, the devil. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, that that probably a little confused, but that's the way the whole thing went down. And I, I had a guy call me one night. He said, hey, we're writing a book. A friend of mine in Toronto is writing a book, and he wants to know the story about Vern and Vince and the meeting that they had. And I said, well, what's he paying for it? Well, nothing. And I said, well, why would I give him that? I said, there's only four people that know the lawyer. He's dead. Vern's passed away. It's just Vince and I are the only two that knows what really happened in that meeting and what went on. So why would I give that to you for nothing? Well, then he'll just write it the way he thinks. And I said, well, then I'll sue him because, or he better put it, it's not, it's fiction because we're the only ones that knew. And you, now you guys know the real story on that. Love it. Awesome. I appreciate it. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories International Wrestling Association with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Back here on Busted Open's Legacy of the Territories, myself and Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, wow, talking about the AWA, what a great interview with Greg Gagne. It always is. I mean, I remember when we did this, uh, a version of, this what we're doing with uh greg and he had talked about and he he alluded to it again they were going to put the title on hulk hogan and they they kind of screwed the fans over twice uh with you know nick bockwinkle he actually was pinned but then on television they come back and they give nick bockwinkle the title because behind the scenes and he had talked about the non-disclosures they were gonna you know have this big show on CBS and the other part, which he had told us previous Andre, the giant was going to win a battle Royal where the winner faced the winner of Nick Bockwinkle versus Hulk Hogan. Yep. So if you really think of the, Oh my God moment, it's Hulk Hogan versus Andre, the giant for a title would have happened on CBS before it actually happened at WrestleMania. And think about that. If if the AWA had the treasure of maybe having an additional six months before Vince McMahon did what he did, you know, the whole landscape of pro wrestling could have completely changed because instead of seeing it play out and, you know, who knows if Saturday night's main event would have ever happened, if WrestleMania ever would have happened. Because How could have- you say, I mean, listen to the, to the ratings he was talking about. Yes. I feel somebody would have jumped on that earlier with the AWA. I agree. It's a proven commodity. And it was a little bit more sports centric that I think it would have been a little bit more pleasing to the masses because it was more sports centric. And that's a discussion that we have. We could have for hours here on busted open. It's, it's amazing when you look at the change of landscape, but you're talking about an additional six months. That's not a lot of time, especially back then how slowly things played out. And it's interesting, Tommy, because obviously I wasn't able to watch the AWA back in 1983, but I followed the storylines in the wrestling magazines. And that was the big criticism was about how Nick Bockwinkle kept using the disqualification rule over and over and over again in order to come out as AWA champion against Hulk Hogan. And it was always like, imagine if they were able to put the belt on Hogan earlier, would he have left? But the reason they were doing it, Tommy, because there would have been this big payoff that would have played out on national television on CBS. It's amazing. All these decades later, Tommy, doing think about our interview with Jerry Briscoe when it came to Black yeah. Saturday, and now it's come to fruition when it came to Nick Bockwinkle and Hulk Hogan. Instead of realizing it back in 1983, we're following it up in 2022. I love how the Jerry Briscoe thing, you kind of like, oh, like all this years of hatred like kind of went away. Sense. And then when yeah. Vern, when Vince says to Vern, I don't negotiate, I could see you get rage again. I was like, I don't like him again. Surprised Vern just didn't hop out of the limo and put Vince in a sleeper right there on the tarmac. Uh, if you think about, too, the history of the AWA, one, they were there for the first revolution of television, like back in the day-day when Vern yeah. was young. And then they're in the second boom with cable. 
And if you think about if they could have hung on or think about if they had like all the things that I talked about with Greg, Greg, the, the foresight, and now like with streaming service on, they could have lasted, they could have probably been like, we're no longer talking about WWE, we're talking about the AWA. Because yes. um, obviously Greg is still a, a very, very good businessman. And then think about these few moments for yourself. I know it was for me, but think of these things happen today. Because like, you know, we talked about Cody jumping from AWA to WWE or even the formation of AW, uh, AEW and, you know, Chris Jericho, all that stuff. How big would it have been when Sergeant Slaughter left and then he shows up in the AWA when he's in the in his hottest of hot during yep. uh, G.I. Joe? Bob Backlund yep. shows up and, and Bob Backlund's hometown, you know, Minnesota. So, I mean, there's a lot of these old school pipe bombs that would have shocked the world if they happened today. But for us, we were shocked. But and it was almost like the same. It was a. A different effect as opposed like for you when Ricky Steamboat, Dusty Rhodes, when they showed up in the WWF, you're like, oh, my gosh. But this would have been like, oh, wait, the tide is turning in the AWA's favor. Yeah. And then you and then you look at it and we talked about it with Greg for a little bit, you know, them being on ESPN. And at that point, uh, Tommy, unfortunately, the AWA was starting to fall apart at that time, like. Because I, I really do believe that the benchmark was 1984. They went to ESPN in 1986, so they already started their decline. But being on ESPN, think about that. Imagine how huge that would be today if there was pro wrestling on ESPN. AWA was able to do that back in the mid-'80s. And prime slot. I would come home at friggin' 4 o'clock in the afternoon from school and watch pro wrestling every day. Yeah, it was, so, it, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. The AWA definitely is is one of those top territories. And I'm glad that we're able to dissect it with you on Legacy of the Territories. Tell us what you think. Make sure you subscribe to the Busted Open Podcast. Comment. Also, if you like what you hear, make sure you listen to our daily live show, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern. We'll talk to you next time. Myself and Tommy Dreamer, it's Legacy of the Territories. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream the podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.